The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. From the 45, play action. Stanley sets. Eyes downfield. Noah Fant gets behind the defense. Touchdown, Iowa. Perfectly thrown 45 yards from Stanley. And that is exactly what having a run game does for you. It opens up the play-action pass. So their first drive of the second half, a little bit like their first drive of the game. A touchdown in short order. And Fant, who had heartbreak to finish last week, has a touchdown to start the second half this week. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' win over Minnesota and previews this week's Iowa-Ohio State game. This week's hang time with former Hawkeyes punter and place kicker Ron Caluzzi assesses the state of Iowa's kicking game and kicking in cold weather heading into the game against the Buckeyes. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Ohio State's Urban Meyer. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of landof10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Jumeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of FS1 with announcers Joe Davis and Brady Quinn. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's mic programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. Iowa plays host to third-ranked Ohio State this Saturday afternoon at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City. Kickoff is set for 2.30 p.m. The Hawkeyes moved to 5-3 overall and 2-3 and in Big Ten play after defeating Minnesota 17-10 last weekend. The Buckeyes, they're 7-1 overall and 5-1 in the conference. Ohio State stormed from behind last Saturday in Columbus to stun previously undefeated and second-ranked Penn State 39-38. And the Buckeyes sit alone in first place in the Big Ten East Division. Iowa has defeated Wyoming, Iowa State, North Texas, Illinois, and Minnesota, while losing to Michigan State, Penn State, and Northwestern. Ohio State has defeated, in addition to Penn State, Indiana, Army, UNLV, Rutgers, Maryland, and Nebraska. Its lone defeat came in their second game of the season at the hands of Oklahoma, and the Buckeyes are currently riding a six-game win streak. Ohio State leads this series in dominating fashion 47-14-3. and It has won the last five games played against Iowa. The two schools have met just four times over the past 11 years. They last played in 2013 with the Buckeyes grabbing a come-from-behind 34-20 win in Columbus. Ohio State has a 17-6-2 and advantage in games played in Iowa City. The last time Iowa won a game in this series, it was 33-7 in 2004 at 
Kinnick Stadium. Kirk Ferentz is in his 19th season heading the Hawkeyes with a record of 140-95 and in Iowa. He's now just three wins shy of tying Hayden Fry as the winningest head football coach in Iowa history. Both Ferentz and Fry rank in the top seven in the Big Ten in terms of overall wins as well as conference wins. Kirk's career mark as a head coach overall is 152-116. and Ferentz is also the dean of college head football coaches. Irvin Meyer is Ohio State's head coach and is 68-7 and in six years heading the Buckeyes. This is his 16th year as a head football coach and his overall record is 172-30. and Meyer is 21-1 and in Big Ten road games since 2012 and 44-2 overall in regular season conference games in that same time span. Three key questions. When you compare the stats as well as the styles of play and the talent on these two teams, is there any realistic hope of Iowa upsetting the Buckeyes? Can Iowa's inconsistent offense sustain drives against a tremendous Ohio State defense and, in particular, an outstanding defensive line, especially with a redshirt freshman starting at left tackle and a true freshman starting at right tackle? The latter, that's a first in the Kirk Ferentz era at Iowa. And can Iowa's very good bend-but-don't-break defense bend-but-not-break against an extraordinarily productive Buckeye offense. And, well, I'm going to throw in a fourth question just for the heck of it. Can Iowa cut down on its penalties and turnovers? Both of those things are going to be absolutely critical in terms of staying in this game. In game notes, Iowa has won three of the last four games it's played against top five teams at Kinnick Stadium, losing to Penn State earlier this season, upsetting Michigan in thrilling fashion last year, topping Michigan State in 2010, and defeating the Nittany Lions in 2007. The Hawkeyes' three losses this season have been decided by just one possession, and two of those games came down to the game's final play. In fact, since 2014, Iowa has had just 12 regular season losses, and 10 of those were decided by a single possession. Iowa is just one win shy of achieving 400 victories when playing in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes' all-time record at home is currently 399-218-16. This is the annual blackout game, and Iowa players will be wearing their new alternate uniforms, which were unveiled earlier this week. The Iowa-Ohio State game will be televised by ESPN, with announcers Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Todd McShay. As usual, it will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. And it can also be heard on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 83, and Sirius Channel 83. Iowa's depth chart is largely unchanged from the Minnesota game. Brandon Snyder remains out at safety. James Butler will play again, slotted as running back number two. And Matt Vandenberg is officially listed as the starting punt returner, replacing Joshua Jackson in that role. In the Big Ten, five conference teams have already become bowl eligible now. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Iowa and Northwestern each need just one more win to join that group. And with 
Privet's win over Penn State last Saturday. Ohio State leads the Big Ten East Division with a 5-0 record. Michigan State and Penn State both sit at 4-1. Wisconsin is 5-0 and continues to lead the West. The Badgers are also now the only undefeated team left in the Big Ten and one of just five remaining in the entire FBS. Week 9 results included Ohio State stunning Penn State 39-38, Northwestern defeating Michigan State 39-31 in triple overtime, and Nebraska coming from behind at Purdue to beat the Boilermakers 25-24. Key games this week, it's week 10 for Big Ten play, Ohio State at Iowa, Penn State at Michigan State, Northwestern at Nebraska, and Wisconsin at Indiana. And one final note from last Saturday's 17-10 win over Minnesota. The Prefense Defensive Player of the Week, cornerback Josh Jackson. He had four pass breakups to go along with three tackles and the tipped pass in the end zone that resulted in Jack Gervais's interception, snuffing out one of the few threats Minnesota had the entire game. Jackson is getting better in each contest, and it's really turning Iowa's defensive secondary into a team strength. Prefense hands sanitizer and surface protectant. Remember, the best defense is prefence. The TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal Coach of the Week from last week, well, that's Phil Parker once again. At this rate, Parker's going to have to build a bigger awards case. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong, building safe since 1962. So what you got to do, you got to fall back. That's superior firepower and superior intelligence. Croft looking in zone, lets it fly. It is picked up. Jake Gervais after Josh Jackson stuck his hand in. One of the best cornerbacks in the country, Josh Jackson, getting his hand in on the football. Jackson breaks on the ball, is able to tip it to Gervais. What a play by Josh Jackson. He almost punches the ball back towards Gervais. Number one in the Big Ten in pass breakups. And he gets Gervais an interception here. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who provides his overview of this year's Ohio State team. It's been four years now uh, since we've played them. Last time we played them, I think uh, somebody told me they were ranked third then, then as well. So that's typical when you play Ohio State. You can expect a, just a great football uh, team to go against. And this team is really no different. Uh, they've been one of the premier programs in college football. Uh, and go back to the 80s, they've had outstanding players, outstanding coaches, and this team's certainly is uh, very, very uh, fits that description. So, you know, we faced another big challenge. Uh, I think, you know, it's something we've had experience with, certainly playing Penn State early in the year, Michigan last year. And really the commonality is that it's going to take our absolute best football uh, to have a chance to compete against these guys. They're, they're a tremendous football team. And, uh, you know, for us to play well, we're going to have to have, uh, play with a great defensive effort out there, uh, find rhythm offensively, and then just, uh, you know, take care of the basic things such as ball security, eliminating the penalty that are drive stoppers, those types of things, and obviously play well in special teams. Ferentz was asked about the development of emerging star cornerback Joshua Jackson. The biggest thing with him, uh, and I said this back in August, I thought he was one of our, seemed to be one of our more improved players uh, on our football team. Just just watch him go through the out-of-season program. Had a good spring last year, uh, and, and Josh has always been a talented guy, but that maturation process that players have to go through. So he's worked hard in the out-of-season program. You know, he's a couple of years into the program right now. I think he knows his position a little bit better, uh, uh, the expectations of what we're looking for, and he's done a great job, I think, of playing 
you know, defensive uh, football for us. He's been a good special teams player in the past. And really, I think that light bulb kind of started coming on a little bit back in 15. You know, you saw him competing as a nickelback. And, you know, just his his, uh, his whole demeanor's really grown since then. Ference was asked for his assessment of the Buckeyes starting quarterback, JT Barrett. He's a tremendous player. I just hope he doesn't have as many yards as the last contender we played because, uh, boy, that guy was really good too. But, yeah, that's part of the Big Ten. You play against teams that are really good, and you play against guys that are just outstanding players. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's part of the challenge. He's a winner. I mean, that, that's, you know, when I watch film, he, the guy's a winner. And uh, that, I, I don't think he was highly recruited. I kind of remember the story. I think he was kind of um, under the radar a little bit. But, but whoever identified him really saw something. And good things come in all kinds of packages, you know. And he's certainly that, that, that kind of player. And, you know, we've already talked about the quarterbacks they've had, how dynamic they were and all that. But, uh, you know, this, this guy's just a really accomplished football player. And um, to lead your team back the way he did the other night against a really good football team, those are two outstanding teams playing against each other. Uh, it doesn't happen by accident. And, and, you know, the guy on the other playing the other quarterback position that night was a really good player too, or that day, I guess it was. Ferentz talks about the importance of being able to complete long passes this coming Saturday in order to open up Iowa's running game against Ohio State's outstanding defense. Yeah, it's going to be important. We're going to have to throw the ball, but I don't know how many deep balls we're going to be able to throw because you, that means you got to hold the ball for a while, and these, these guys get back there pretty quick. So it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge like the, the Michigan game last year where, you know, those guys close things really quickly. And I'm thinking about Penn State in 08. You know, it looks like there's a hole, and then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's right there, uh, that type of deal. So that, that's kind of the challenge. That's kind of representative of us right now offensively. Like, you know, we're kind of close, but gosh, you know, that. Uh, but that that's, you know, we got to somehow get, get past that a little bit, that and the penalties. And Kirk opines on Iowa's alternate uniforms for this game with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek. Oh, God, I, I can't, you know, I couldn't sleep because uh, we, we showed the, the, the video. You guys probably have seen it now. It came out, right? I couldn't sleep Saturday night. I mean, I was so excited, <laughs> so excited, you know, and it was even better to see the helmets. We wore the helmets in practice today. So that was, God, I, I was trying to concentrate on what we were doing, but it just, I kept looking at those helmets. Those are awesome. <laughs> awesome. What I told, you know, I know, I know everybody's going to like them, so I said, you know, what really what I hope after the game people say they really played well in those uniforms, those awesome uniforms. So I'm probably killing our recruiting effort right now, right? Huh? I think the ones we got, do we have a picture around here? The ones we got, I think, are they are awesome, okay? But, you know, I think these are, I haven't seen it yet actually in person, so I don't know. I'll, I'll reserve judgment until, until I see them in person. Like, you know, I was hoping somebody would ask about winning. Like, that, that to me might be, hey, how about playing better? That might be a really good, good thing to focus on. But, you know, I, I get this. This is, I've really, you know, changed my approach on all this stuff. I'm, I'm really for all this stuff now. If guys play, if they play good, I'm all for it. Next, we hear from Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer, who was asked how big an advantage it is for Ohio State's potential recruits to experience the kind of atmosphere that they had last Saturday in Columbus during a huge game like that against Penn State. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's, uh, are you kidding me? I mean, that's, I often look at players and, I, you know, I'll tell them, you know, here's our recruiting pitch. Do you want in or not? And there's nothing else I can say to you. You know, you were in the locker room, you met our players, we're a good, clean program that does things the right way, and they play their tails off. And I'm going to talk about the ACT scores and the College of Education and everything. We, we can sit here and go on and on, or you're looking for something else. So that, that's what these kind of games do in those kind of moments. It's 
or this. It's not, boy, that was kind of cool. No, it's none of that. Meyer was asked if he's had a discussion yet with his quarterback, J.T. Barrett, about the Heisman Trophy buzz. Sometimes I do feel an obligation to, you know, I've done that before with Tim Tebow when when's the appropriate time to say something because, you know, when is that time? It's certainly not right now. He had a really good game. As a matter of fact, he had one of the best games in college football history. Certainly one of the best quarters in college football history. Other than that, let's go beat Iowa. Meyer was asked about the successes defense had in containing Penn State running back Saquon Barkley last weekend as they prepare to face Akron Wadley this Saturday in Kinnick. Our D-line, you know, whenever you control, it's a line of scrimmage game, regardless whether you're playing in Iowa, which is a very much a pro-style team. And I have not studied him a lot, so I know he's got a, they got a great running back. I checked the stats, but I'm all offense and kicking right now. But they're two different, just uh, very different offenses. Offenses we're getting ready to face one spread offense. But regardless, my point is, regardless of the spread or pro style, if you control the line of scrimmage, good things usually happen in the run game, and that's what happened. Meyer talks about Iowa's knack for taking good teams deep into games into the fourth quarter and having success late in those games. That's exactly who they are. I played them in the Outback Bowl when I was at uh, Florida my first year in 2005. And uh, sure enough, we started beating them pretty good, and they just bleeded back into it, bleeded back into it, and uh, we had to recover an onside kick to save the game. I mean, I did, they're just tough. They're like their coach. Their coach is a tough guy. They're like the state of Iowa. They're tough people. I, I love Iowa. I love the, you know, I've never met too many people or players that just don't have that Iowa characteristic of toughness, and I'm going to hit you as hard as I can. And we played them here a few years ago, and I think they went up 10 zip before we knew what was going on. So uh, this will be as good a defense line as we faced. It's the, the thing I love about their, their coach, who's a friend, is that the consistency is impeccable. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, so many people change and always grasping for different ways of doing things. He's as consistent, tough as you can get. I think he does a great job. And Urban Meyer was asked if he can assess his team's personality yet at this point in the season. I think it's still too bit determined. You know, I made uh, earlier, you know, over my career, as I'll make a comment, and there's still too much going on right now. If the focus is there, this is going to be a decent ending. If the focus somehow gets abstracted by talk of other stuff, then we'll be an average team. But there's a lot of ball left right now. Well, it's too early. we got to go beat Iowa. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Do you want to learn more about kicking and punting? It's hard to find quality training for place kicking and punting, especially with a coach who will give you full attention and who cares about your growth as a person as well as a kicker. That's why Kaluzi Kicking is here. Kaluzi Kicking strives to bring out the very best in every student-athlete by utilizing hands-on training, video analysis, and athlete marketing. Kaluzi Kicking is a family-oriented company and believes in working hard to help achieve your goals. The Kaluzi Kicking team will provide you the resources you need to perfect every aspect of the kicking game as you aspire to play at the next level. You can find out more information at kaluzikicking.com. Or you can email us, info at kaluzikicking.com.
Time now for our Reporter's Notebook segment this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the win over Minnesota and previews this Saturday's Ohio State game discussing Iowa's punch list for success at Kinnick Stadium. Steve, before we turn the page to Iowa, Ohio State, let's take one last look back. The Floyd of Rosedale battle, Hawkeyes prevail. Floyd stays in the warmer climes of Iowa City for yet another year. Defense, pretty terrific again, and the offense did enough to get the win. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess if there's a positive from an offensive standpoint, it was that they, they started fast, which is, has been kind of a bit of a struggle, and you know, both the first and second half, Iowa put points on the board in its first possession. And, uh, it's something that was an objective going in, and, and it was a goal met. There's a lot of struggles in between, but uh, it certainly, you know, it helped Iowa get off to, to the kind of start it needed. And, and frankly, it was the difference in the game at the end. So, uh, you know, as you alluded to, a terrific effort by the defense. Uh, Josh Jackson had a had a terrific game on the back end of the defense. Minnesota's offense uh, is certainly a work in progress. It never had a chance to get comfortable working against uh, really the collective effort of, of a Hawkeye defense. that has played pretty well the last few weeks. First time all year that the Hawkeyes scored offensively on their first drives in each of the first and the second half. And I think it gave people a lot of hope for how the offense might produce the rest of the game. And then it kind of went back into a shell again. Yeah, a little fool's gold there, wasn't it? It, it certainly was a, you know, it, it turned into a punt fest on both um, both sides of the field. And, uh, you know, not uncommon for an Iowa-Minnesota game, very much like the game that was played in, in Minneapolis, uh, you know, a year ago that Iowa won 14-7. to It was uh, without maybe quite as many turnovers, but it, it was, you know, it was certainly a, a, you know, a typical game that you expect to see between these two teams. They've been playing a lot of these for a long time, and uh, they're, they're never very pretty to look at, but, uh, you know, usually there's some guys who step up and make some plays and, and, and find a way to get it done, and, and certainly, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I thought Nate Stanley looked uh, a little more comfortable in, in, in the pocket than maybe he had in, in previous weeks. Uh, there's some signs of growth, uh, you know, a nice 45-yard touch touchdown pass to Noah Font. Uh, it, it's one of those things that uh, uh, with with time, things are getting a little better, but it's certainly, you know, the overall product that offensively is, is still a work in progress, too. Okay, let's turn the page now. Ohio State comes in here ranked third in the nation in both major polls. They are really a phenomenal team, even for Ohio State. I think if you look at one word that kind of sums them up in my mind, it's abundance. They have an abundance of talent, an abundance of riches, and that's true at virtually every single position. And they're surging just as they come into the Iowa game on a six-game winning streak. And last Saturday's unbelievable comeback, really, defeating Penn State 39-38 in Columbus. Yeah, a, a terrific win for the Buckeyes and, and you know, a monumental collapse for, for the Nittany Lions in that situation. And, you know, certainly I think that if you take a look at, at, at this Ohio State team, they had some questions coming into this season, but uh, they certainly have answered most of them. And, and uh, you know, everything seems to start offensively with, with, with an exceptional quarterback in J.T. Barrett. And, you know, this is an offense that, uh, you know, it has put up 500 yards in each of its last six games. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it just kind of comes at you in waves and it comes at you in all different directions. And, uh, you know, that'll be a, an issue for Iowa to deal with this week. And, uh, it's the type of team that has positioned itself to, to make a run at a playoff opportunity and at the end of the year, and you know, certainly
certainly this is a game that they must win if if they want to remain in that conversation. When I prepared Stats Smackdown for this game and sent it out to you guys earlier, I made some reference to trying to hold your lunch down because the Stats matchups uh, on paper look horrendous from Iowa's perspective. But nevertheless, as the old cliche goes, you don't play the games on paper. Um, Kirk's talked about having to play their cleanest and best game of the season. That's certainly true, I believe. So let's turn now to the punch list for Iowa's offense versus Ohio State's defense. The Buckeyes are surrendering just under 249 yards a game over the last six games, and they've held five of their last six opponents to under 300 yards of total offense. If you look at the Buckeyes' defense, the heart and soul of that defense is clearly their defensive line, and it's led by a terrific defensive end, Nick Bosa, who's uh, only been a part-time starter this season. Yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a defense that uh, will will test you in a lot of ways, including with throwing a lot of bodies at you up front. And, you know, not unlike what Iowa has been doing, Ohio State has been rotating a ton of people in and out of that defensive front and, and keeping fresh bodies on the field and, and kind of wearing teams down. And uh, it, it's a, if you look at their, their statistics, there aren't a lot of guys that really jump out, but a lot of that is because they're just they're, they're being allowed to kind of come and go in groups and, and spreading the wealth around and it, it's been a very effective way for, for a defense that uh, you know has been very dominant. Uh, they gave up some points last week. Uh, it started with a kickoff return and uh, against uh, Penn State but uh, you know it, it still had to make some stops down the stretch and it, it got that done. They're near the top in both the Big Ten and, and national stats and the the rest of the defensive line, the, the other defensive ends rather, they've nicknamed their group group of four defensive ends, the Sackman. So it's more than Bosa. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you take a look at it, they've got 20 on the season and, and it's it's been by a collection of, uh, of 10 guys. So um, it's one of those things that uh, uh, they've got a lot of capable personnel and, and you know, you take a look at, at some veteran guys, guys like Tyquan Lewis, who, who is a preseason defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. His numbers don't necessarily pop out at you, but he still has 3.5 sacks and and, uh, you know, and five tackles for a loss, and he's broken up a couple passes and, you know, just like made life miserable on folks from time to time. And, and, and that's just kind of what they do. And it's a different guy on a different week. And it's the kind of thing that makes him a very difficult and challenging team to prepare for because each of those guys has a little something different that maybe that they bring to the table. And, you know, they can kind of mix and match based on the personnel groups that they're seeing on the opposite side of the ball. And they have a very athletic group of linebackers, which has always been key at Ohio State as well as a defensive secondary that's the same. Absolutely. You know, this is a, a team that, uh, you know, it's it's built around quickness. It's built around athleticism, uh, as it always is. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a group that, uh, you know, they, they've been able to pick off seven passes. They've been able to do some good things back there as well. Uh, you know, Damon Webb is, is a guy that uh, has come on for them and has a couple of picks this year. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a veteran bunch with a few new faces. And that's why they continue to just reload. You know, their ability to kind of bring guys in as as youngsters and play them in in, in critical and big game situations only keeps sustaining what they've been able to accomplish. On Iowa's side of the ball, you have a team that all season long has had exceptional performance in the fourth quarter, uh, often also at the end of the first half. And, of course, led by Nate Stanley, who you mentioned it earlier in the Minnesota game, he looked maybe just that little step 
faster, a little more confidence. Really, the one pick he threw against Minnesota shouldn't have been charged to him. It should have been charged to Amir Smith for the ball bouncing off of his face mask into the Minnesota defender's hands, and even that was a questionable review. But So you've got Stanley, still way terrific margin of touchdown passes to interceptions, although I'm sure Ohio State will challenge that. And Akram Wadley seemed to get back on track last week a little bit against Minnesota. And so you're going to have to have outstanding performances from everyone on that side. And you're going to have to do what I think Brian Ferentz did in both of those first two drives, first half, second half drives against Minnesota, which is throw the ball to help open up the run and maybe throw some deep passes. Yeah, I I agree. I think that you know, they're at least going to have to make Ohio State respect the deep ball. Whether or not they connect on those plays, certainly it's more of a benefit to hit them, but uh, you at least got to be throwing them out there every once in a while. And you certainly can't be one-dimensional against this team, but I agree. I think you're going to have to open it up and, and, and opening, you know, making making the pass game the way to move down the field is is every bit as effective uh, as a good, solid rushing attack. And I, I think the return of James Butler has helped Iowa and will help Iowa. You know, he didn't have a tremendous number of yards last week, but, uh, uh, you know, the 28 yards that he did gain, you know, the 27 came in the second half. And, and uh, you know, I think he will add a little something to Iowa's ability to down the stretch here in the season to, to, to come up with a more effective rushing attack. But 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 you're right. I mean, they're, they're going to have to be able to mix in, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, some multi-tight end sets like uh, Iowa was able to use effectively in Columbus a few years ago go to kind of get off to a to a nice lead over there or or whether it be uh, simply hitting hitting uh, whether it be no offense or 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 easily or you know someone Amir Smith Brandon Smith you know somebody is going to have to make some plays in the passing game if Iowa hopes to be successful and and, and certainly you know this is this is a game where uh, the balance needs to be there in terms of being able to simply keep the defense honest uh, you know I would suspect that this could be a game where the numbers will be skewed a little more towards the pass for and it's probably going to have to be that way. And if Ohio State's defense has shown any vulnerability, of course, this is a relative term, but they have been giving up an average of over 195 yards through the air as compared to only 107 on the ground. And as we've discussed the last few weeks, Iowa has become running challenged for a combination of reasons. What struck me about particularly the opening drive of the game, but you saw it again in the in the opening drive in the second half, was how many times Brian Ferentz called pass plays on first downs. Yeah, and I certainly think that helped. Uh, I think Iowa was less predictable. I, I think some of that comes from self-scouting. I think some of that is, uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen from Brian is, is a willingness to kind of mix things up. And Iowa's tendencies don't tend to be tendencies very long. And I think that's been a, a beneficial thing. I think that's helped this team compete. And I think it's something that's probably going to need to continue, you know, heading down in, into the final four games of the regular season. Uh, you know, the, the less predictable Iowa can be, the, the better its opportunities because uh, uh, you know, as a couple of players uh, alluded to on Tuesday, uh, you know, uh, this isn't an Iowa team that's loaded with, with four- and five-star recruits. It's a team that has to have, you know, excellent technique. It's a team that has to have excellent execution and can't afford a lot of mistakes or errors. And They're going to have to be on top of their game this week in pretty much every facet. And if, if they can do that, I think they can hang with Ohio State for a while. Whether, uh, you know, the key will be not unlike the Penn State game earlier – 
get that thing into the fourth quarter and then see what you can make of it from there. Uh, this is an Ohio State team that certainly has the ability to turn a, turn a game into a route pretty quickly. And, you know, Iowa's ability to kind of maintain possession of the football, uh, whether that be through the run, through a short passing game, uh, those are the kinds of things that they're going to need to do to, to kind of take care of things down the stretch. Stanley also had, generally speaking, plenty of time to pass last Saturday. The offensive line held out Minnesota's defense most of that game pretty effectively. Ohio State has 30 sacks already this season. That's 3-0. And back to Ohio State's defensive line, you have to be concerned if you're Iowa sitting there with your offensive line that is now missing two starters from what it would have been at the start of the season and a redshirt freshman at one tackle position and a true freshman at the other. Those two guys in particular are going to have to play above their years this week. And, and uh, you know, I, th- I thought we saw maybe a little growth at times. The consistency still isn't where it needs to be, and you wouldn't expect it to be for freshmen. Uh, but uh, they're going to have to have their game of the year to for Iowa to be in this one, uh, because if not, there's no question that, you know, Ohio State's defense will be ready to, to you know, take advantage of, of any opportunity that they get. That This will be a, a test for, you know, for those guys. It'll be a test for Nate Stanley. Um, you know, he, he managed things fairly well against Penn State back in, in September. Uh, this will be another one of those same kind of tests. I would suspect they're not going to give him too much too challenging. Uh, it, it'll be more of a, a, a package of things that, that he will be able to handle and, and effectively operate. To, you know, and I, I suspect we'll see a wrinkle or two that uh, will be added. That's been kind of the norm for each game so far. And, and you know, as, as he gains more experience and, and has gained a comfort level with uh, what he's being asked to do, uh, you know, we're seeing some, some small but uh, somewhat effective signs of growth. Two other notes from Iowa's offense. Wide receiver Matt Vandyberg now has a reception in 27 consecutive games that he's played in, 125 career receptions. He's two away from moving ahead of Marv Cook into the all-time top 10. And in terms of career touchdowns, Wadley now has 30, and he's two scores from moving into the top five, tying Tim Dwight and Ronnie Harmon, and those would both be pretty terrific accomplishments. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Akram has just been kind of a steady performer, and, and he does have a nose for the end zone, and I was been able to get it get the ball to him in those situations that you know he, he's going to finish up here with a, a you know a really nice career given given the fact that you know he's, he's kind of had to pay his dues and, and he's had some ups and downs and and you know shared time a year ago and 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 now he's kind of the featured guy and you know i'm sure he's like his yardage total to be a little bit higher at this point he's at, at 643 and is averaging four carry but uh, given given the line that he's running behind right now uh you know he, he's had a pretty good season and he's providing some pretty good leaders and I, I think that's probably uh, you know that, that's a key to it as well. And and certainly Vandenberg has been you know a, a constant over time. And um, he's actually the only player uh, who will be on the field on Saturday who was on the field in Columbus when Iowa last played the Buckeyes in, in, in 2013. He didn't have any stats in that game, but he did play on some special teams and got a little taste of what life is like in, in at that level. And uh, you know for whatever that's worth, that could be a little bit advantageous this week. I'm sure he's been in enough big games by now that uh, you know he'll, he'll be ready to go and it, it's been good to see him get back on the field and 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 to make some some solid games for Iowa in the past game after this break Steve talks the punch list for Iowa's defense and special teams plus some big 10.
Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. We're back with Steve Batterson. Now we're going to look at the punch list for Iowa's defense to have success against Ohio State's offense. Now, interesting stats matchup in this regard because Iowa's defense comes in ranked third in the Big Ten and 12th nationally in scoring defense, holding opponents to just 17.4 points per game. On the other side, however, Ohio State leads the Big Ten and ranks second nationally in scoring offense, a whopping 46.3. But Iowa's defense has held seven of its last eight opponents below their scoring average by an average of 11.1 points per game. So if there's hope, if you're an Iowa fan, certainly Iowa's defense is the linchpin for that. Yes, and and, and the offense shares a role in helping them stay that way this week. I mean, the offense's ability to, to maintain some possessions and, and kind of stretch drives out in two o'clock and help keep the defense fresh uh, will be important. If this becomes a game where the Iowa defense is on the field for 35 minutes, it it could be an ugly day in Iowa City. Certainly, Iowa's defense has done a terrific job, you know, that bend but don't break philosophy. They've been very effective in the red zone, uh, either keeping people off the board altogether or limiting people to field goals. And I think you take that in in this game. I think that's uh, that's probably the primary objective. If you have to give up some yardage in the middle of the field, do it, but then figure out a way to get off field when uh, when it's crunch time. Situation that that they're going to have to be aware of this week, and this is where you know being technique sound and, and assignment true, uh, you know, comes into play. Uh, Ohio State's big play capabilities are certainly something that they that they got to be wary of, and it's certainly uh, you know any mistake is has the potential to to become six pretty quickly against this team. And you know it, it's a it's a an Ohio State offense that was expected to be fairly solid, especially with the with a veteran quarterback at the at the control. And, and, you know, and JT Baird has not disappointed. Buckeyes have put up 500 or more yards of total offense in a school record six consecutive games, and that's under new offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson, who Iowa fans should remember was the former head coach at Indiana. Back to JT Barrett, a legit Heisman candidate. Don't know how he wouldn't be at least in the top five right now, and if you based it on one game, he'd probably win it after last Saturday's performance versus Penn State. Ohio State is 33-5 and with Barrett as the starting quarterback. Just a, a terrific leader you know, and has been for, for multiple years. He's one of those guys that seems like he's about a seventh-year senior now. He's been around so long and has been so effective. And, you know, he, he's a guy that wins football games, and that's what you need out of that position. And, you know, he, he can he can burn you with his arm. He can burn you with his feet. And, and if he's not doing that, he's giving it to somebody else who can create all sorts of problems for you. And you know, one of the big questions that Ohio State had going into this season was its receiving 
receiving core. And uh, they'd had a very mediocre spring. Uh, there were questions all summer long that uh, kind of chased Urban Meyer around. And when you've got a quarterback who, over his last six games, has completed 75% of his passes, they've found some answers in that receiving game. And, and, and a lot of it has to do with the guy who's putting the ball where it needs to be for those guys to go get it. He's completing 69.5% of his passes. This season, 25 touchdowns, only thrown one pick. 2,166 yards, but he's a true dual threat quarterback. He's got 454 yards on the ground and five rushing touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, a second leading rusher on the team behind a freshman in, in J.K. Dobbins, who, you know, who, this is the second straight year that, that a freshman has been Ohio State's leading rusher. Mike Weber was a guy a year ago. You know, it's a typical Ohio State offense. They've got a, an offensive line that uh, Nathan Budget had told me on Tuesday will be by far the best offensive line that I would has seen so far this season. You know, they may see one that's even a little stronger next week with Wisconsin, or at least equally strong. But certainly, uh, you know, th- that's where everything starts up front. And Barrett is getting plenty of time to work. Uh, he's getting plenty of time to make decisions. And uh, he's got a lot of options to to, uh, to utilize. And, and certainly, they spread it around pretty well. Yeah, you got to be pretty deep at running back when, as you said, Dobbins is a true freshman. He replaced Mike Weber, who was a redshirt freshman last year and that was Ohio State's leading rusher. Dobbins is a starter this year. He's averaging 7.6 yards per attempt and of course they have a very veteran offensive line. Let's talk about their receivers. They've got a terrific group of receivers. Uh, One of them might not play Saturday due to injury but um, their leading receiver, uh, well I don't know how you say leading receiver. Let's just talk about their leading receivers as a group. Yeah, he's the guy that's caught the most passes, right? I mean, I mean, when you've got when you've got you know four guys with twenty or more catches and and seven guys with fourteen or more catches, you know it's it's balance. It's exactly what you're looking for if you're if you're an offensive coordinator. You know, Kevin Wilson showed signs of being able to to spread the ball around quite a bit in Indiana as well, and that's one of the things that he's added to to this uh, Ohio State mix. And and one of the things he was brought in to do is to kind of you know energize that passing game a little bit, especially after you know after they got shut out in the uh, in the bowl game last year. This was a priority, and it certainly has worked. KJ Hill's got 40 passes for them this year, but you know they, they've got they've got five, six other guys who who are averaging 12, 13, 14 yards a catch, and 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 they've all had you know between 20 and 25, 29 catches a game, and it's it's a uh, it's a deep group of receivers, and it'll be a challenging group of receivers for Iowa's defensive backs to deal with. H back Paris Campbell is the one who's listed as questionable Saturday, but he actually leads the team with the most receiving yards, 410 yards, but you've got K.J. Hill, three touchdowns. You have Johnny Dixon, who has six touchdowns. You've got two other guys who have four, and their tight ends are pretty solid as well. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it's a total offense, and, you know, it usually is with Ohio State. Uh, you know, they, they've got a tradition of great running backs, obviously, but uh, the best Ohio State teams have had that along with a good quarterback who has an ability to, to, to spread the ball around and, and put it into, into the hands of a you know, guys like, you know, Terry McLaren or Austin Mack, some of those guys that uh, have put up decent numbers and, and they're the kind of guys that are going to make plays and they're going to throw two or three of those guys out on the field at a time and, and try to make you figure out which one it's it's headed to. And, and they've, you know, they've done a, a, a solid job from start to finish. And, you know, really since the Oklahoma game when things didn't go very well offensively and there was some grumbling over there about whether, you know, whether JT Barrett should be the starting quarterback. 
in the six games since, I think he's proven that he's probably the guy. Let's talk about Iowa's defensive keys here for a minute. Of course, it was good for the Hawkeyes to get Josie Jewell back last week against Minnesota. He continues to lead the Big Ten in tackles. He's fourth nationwide in 11.6 tackles per game. I doubt if anybody, unless he doesn't play the rest of the season, is going to catch him in terms of total tackles. Just about everything you can say about him is superlatives. Four straight double-digit tackle performances uh, for Josie. I mean, he, he's he's done everything you you could ask of a middle linebacker in terms of leadership. And, um, you know, certainly I think that uh, his presence on the field and, and, and just his ability to, to, you know, to get Iowa into the right defense based on what he's seeing, his knowledge and experience, I think, are, are things that will give Iowa an opportunity to kind of hang around in this game. And it's because of his ability to, to see the field, to, to make the correct calls, and, and then for, the, for his teammates to execute what they're seeing based on what he's calling. Uh, that's that's going to be an important thing. Iowa's defensive line, a good rotation, a lot of guys going in and out there. Both Kirk and Phil Parker earlier talked about the importance of, of that, keeping fresh bodies in there, especially in that position, the way Iowa plays defense. The Hawkeyes have 19 sacks already this season. Defensive end Anthony Nelson is tied for second in the Big Ten. He has six of those. And you've got true freshman A.J. Epinesa, again, who's second on the team with two and a half sacks. But he leads with seven quarterback hurries. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you've got guys like Matt Nelson who who have moved inside to the to a tackle position and who, who have competed. He's worked his way into the starting lineup now. It's been it's been a you know a, an interesting thing to watch develop. And and uh, one of the things in talking with Budgeter the other day, he said that it has probably worked maybe even a, be- a little better than those guys anticipated. They got a taste of it last year with kind of six guys rotating between the tackle and end spots, and to be able to grow that to to include eight guys and you know I think that's something that's uh, certainly helped Iowa so far and, and, and as, as you know as this team moves deeper into the season it's going to become even more beneficial because you know the body starts to get a little tired in November to be able to to be able to come off the field and take a quick break and, and have somebody else uh, come in and, and, and make a player have a couple of guys come in and, and try to uh, you know to get uh, the ball back into the offense's hands uh, that's certainly been beneficial and I think that's uh, uh, something that really the players appreciate as much as anything. Perhaps uh, surprisingly, Iowa's defensive secondary has turned into a strength of the entire defense, and, and that includes a safety position now once Amani Hooker moved into the starting position there. But if you had to say there was a breakout star on defense, it clearly has to be defensive back Josh Jackson. He's now leading the country in passes defended with 17, passes broken up with 15. He's had two picks. He is playing terrific right now you know for for a, uh, a guy who has basically been a reserve throughout his career to to come in and to assume a, a position that Desmond King has started in for the last four years and and to play it as effectively as he has it speaks volumes to to the work that this kid put into his game during the offseason and how he prepared um, you know Minnesota targeted him the, the other day nine times and completed one pass squatted four of them down um, it was just a you know a, a general thorn in their side all day and you know kind of made you wonder why he continued to throw his way uh, you know he's got some length he's got some athleticism he's got you know he's got numbers right now that have positioned him to to have statistically the best season that, that a Kirk Ferentz coached or Phil Parker coached or Norm Parker coached defensive back have had uh, at Iowa and you know it, it's uh, it, it's a credit to this kid's work ethic and, and certainly his uh, his uh, preparedness for for being ready to step into the lineup this season. Kirk kind of 
disappointed this summer that, that they'd seen some growth from him, but I don't think anybody expected the kind of growth that we've seen. Let's turn to the special teams before we look ahead at the Big Ten and get your prediction. It looks like Iowa has a starting punter, traditional punter, in true freshman Ryan Gersandi, but it looks like now Iowa also has a designated rugby-style punter. Uh, Colton Rastetter came in several times last Saturday against Minnesota in that role, and that seems to be maybe a little bit of uh, sort of weather dependent thing going on there. Yeah, I, I think the last couple of weeks the weather's played a big role in, in the punting game um, and I think uh, you know November can be a very fickle month as well and I, I think Iowa's ability to to have a couple of styles of, of punters uh, is a benefit, and I certainly think that uh, uh, you know it's a type of thing that Iowa can probably use to its advantage. And the big thing is getting both of those guys comfortable enough to go out there in, in whatever conditions they're presented with, and and to kind of make the most of the opportunities. Yeah, Rathstetter has has been a pretty effective rugby punter for Iowa uh, in his opportunities in that in that role, and I think that that's uh, uh, you know that's something that uh, I think is is probably a good thing. It, it's something that we we know that Gersande did in high school too. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things I think that uh, uh, it's become a part of what is uh, is expected of Iowa punters. I think it's something that the coaches feel like can be beneficial in an area of the game that Iowa has always put a lot of importance on. We talked this week in this show with Ron Caluzzi about that rotation there at punter between rugby style and traditional and the fact that how defenses or punt defenses will adjust when they see Rastetter come into the game by shifting a little more to their right, Iowa's left, which is where Rastetter rolls out. When he rugby styles, he rolls out left, typically. But then, you know what? That also sets up some interesting possibilities for some trickeration on Iowa's part. Absolutely. It, it opens a lot of doors for things, and, and I think that that's uh, it's never a bad thing either. And, and I think uh, I wouldn't be totally surprised to see some of that before the end of the season. We've, we've seen a, a few hints of, of, of things earlier on that uh, worked, and uh, so that haven't, but uh, that's you know that's part of the deal, and, and and I think the ability to do it it certainly puts another thing on the plate for the opponents to prepare for, and I think that as much as anything, uh, the more work you can give somebody else to do to get ready for a football team, that's a good thing. Ohio State has a veteran, at least second year starter, as place kicker, although he did not play that role last season. They've got a redshirt freshman in his first season as the team's punter, and he's one of the leading punters in the conference. But Ohio State is the this is such an odd stat because. I did a triple check when I was working on Stat Smackdown. The Buckeyes are the only school in the country not to allow a punt return this season. Zero returns, zero yards. That is strange. I mean, that is just bizarre. And the kid certainly, uh, you know, Drew Christman is, is the kid that we're talking about. Uh, you know, he's averaging 42.7 yards, a, you know, a, a punt. He's, he's put, you know, he's had 23 chances. I mean, when you're punting for Ohio State, you're, you're not necessarily going to get a ton of opportunities, but you know he's put uh, 15 of those 23s uh, punts inside the 20, and, and, and he's knocked six of them 50 or more yards, So and only one has been a touchback. So, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that has, uh, you know, has done some done some damage with his foot, and, and if he can he can create some field issue, field uh, position issues for, for opponents, he'll do so. And this is beginning to get repetitive week to week, but there's not much more you could have asked out of Miguel Racinos in his first year as a starting place kicker for the Hawkeyes. 
been so consistent, and you know, I, I, both both in terms of kickoffs and and uh, and in field goals, it's been um, you know it, his uh, his foot has made a difference. It made a, it certainly made a difference in terms of of uh, extending their lead to ten points the other night against uh, Minnesota was was a benefit. And you know, I think that uh, you know he just uh, he has shown that uh, you know that he was ready, and, and I think that that uh, uh, there were a lot of questions about Iowa's kicking game going into fall camp and and he's he's been able to answer them effectively and create a situation where you know it doesn't have to be a problem or a question and I think that's a good thing and it certainly it allows him to kind of concentrate just on improved consistency and and uh, you know tweaking things a little bit as opposed to figuring it out and I think that's a big help. Before we get your prediction let's talk Big Ten for a couple of minutes things are beginning to shake out a little bit in the east of course Ohio State's win over Penn State leaves the Buckeyes as the only undefeated team in the Eastern Division in Big Ten games. They hold that one-game lead and the tiebreaker now over Penn State. In Wisconsin, they're the only undefeated team in the West Division with a 5-0 Big Ten record, and they're undefeated on the season. However, they are probably, in terms of the national perspective on uh, on top teams in the country and the playoffs potentially, they're sort of turned into the Rodney Dangerfield of football teams that are undefeated. Well, and you know, some of that has to do with the preseason schedule uh, that that has kind of come back to to bite them a little bit. They, you know, there wasn't an LSU on that schedule this year. Uh, you know, they had a nice win at, at BYU back in in September, but uh, you know, and there, it hasn't been a world beater type schedule. Their crossover games, um, you know, haven't been the biggest of tests yet as well. You know, it, it lined things up nicely for Wisconsin to get off to a pretty good start this season, and you know, and they've taken care of business. They're a little beaten up this week. They go to Indiana on Saturday, and they're you know probably uh, they've they've listed their their leading rusher Jonathan Taylor, who, who leads the Big Ten in rushing, is listed as questionable after injuring an ankle at Illinois last week. Their top receiver is listed as questionable, and, and their top tackler is listed listed as questionable. So you know, other than that, I don't think they have too many problems. Other other than other than additional injuries at the running back position and at the receiver position, which have really impacted their depth so but they still find ways to win and and uh, you know that's a credit uh, in large part to the dominance of of their line play um and uh, alex hornerbrook has has done a good job of of leading that team at 24 to 10 win at illinois last week wasn't very sexy but it certainly was a you know it was a it was a game that uh you know they found a way to get out of there with a win and and uh when you lose your leading rusher in the first half and and things aren't looking too good uh you, you take them as they come in this league in spite of the numbers that Taylor's put up all season long, I think another perception issue, at least for Wisconsin, and may come back to haunt them before the season's over, is they offensively aren't putting up a lot of points, even in their wins. They just aren't running away from other teams. No, uh, you know they they found themselves in, in some close games. You, you think back to that Purdue game. I think the score was seventeen to nine or something like that. And uh, you know it, it, it's uh, still an offense that's averaged thirty five points over the course of the season. But they've been challenged by some Big Ten defenses. And 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 you're right. When you put the ball in the hands of a freshman running back, sometimes uh, it gets into that finishing thing that that we've talked about a little bit with Iowa. You need to uh, you need to be able to finish drives, and that 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 has been a bit of a task for for the. Bat- 
Badgers at times, but uh, you know, so far they've been able to ride the strength of a defense that's not giving up uh, uh, many points at all. Uh, they're first in the conference in that uh, around 13 points a game, and uh, you know, if you if you can get an offense uh, to put a couple touchdowns up on on the board, you can you can usually find a way to to win in that situation, and that's how it's played out. In addition to Ohio State's thrilling win over Penn State, 39-38 last week, you had two other interesting scores. If it makes Iowa feel any better, probably doesn't, but Northwestern had that nice triple overtime win, big win for the Wildcats over Michigan State, and you had Nebraska sort of hanging by its fingernails in a lot of different respects, came from behind to at Purdue to win that game 25-24 this week. You just mentioned it, it interesting game, I think, to watch here will be Wisconsin at Indiana. You've got Penn State at Michigan State, of course the Ohio State-Iowa game, and you've got Northwestern traveling to Nebraska, some more shakeout in the Big Ten West. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Nebraska and Northwestern are tied for second right now behind Wisconsin. Wisconsin clearly in control. Basically, what Wisconsin has to do, you know, if they win two of their last four games, there isn't anything anybody else in the division can do to prevent them from going to Indianapolis for the Big Ten title game. But, you know, that that race for second is is pretty interesting right now. And and Northwestern and Nebraska are both sitting at three and two. Northwestern has won three straight games after after that 0-2 start. And, and uh, you know, Nebraska righted the ship a little bit last week, uh, barely. But, uh, you know, it'll be an interesting matchup in Lincoln. And, and if, uh, you know, if Northwestern can get out of there with the win, that, you know, that really solidifies them uh, in that second slot. And, you know, if you take a look down the road at, at Nebraska's schedule, um, you know, they, they've got some some challenges ahead as well. But to get to 4-2 and two would be a benefit for them, certainly heading into the, uh, you know, the home stretch of the season and, and you know they get done with Northwestern they go to Minnesota and then they've got a roadie at Penn State before Iowa comes to town so it, you know it, it's uh, it's a work in progress in Lincoln as it has been all season but uh, it does look like defensively they may be making a few strides. Back to the Hawkeyes hosting the Buckeyes some interesting things here Iowa's won three of its last four games versus top five teams in games played at Kinnick Stadium including last, last year's thrilling uh, win over number two at that time, second-ranked Michigan, 14-13. to 13. Iowa's three losses this season have been decided by one possession, and two of those have come down to the game's final play. So that's at least a, a positive. What, what's your thinking here with uh, Ohio State and Iowa at Kinnick, 2.30 kickoff? We've got the alternate uniform factor, too. Don't forget that. So I'm not sure how well those have worked over time. But uh, uh, certainly, you know, I think that uh, this will be probably, given the growth of, of Ohio State's offense over the course of the season, I think this is a, is a real test for Iowa in a lot of ways. I, I do think that Iowa will be able to hold the Buckeyes below their scoring average. I think that's kind of become a common thread with this Iowa defense. They're certainly good enough to do that. Uh, the challenge will be is can Iowa score enough points to uh, uh, to put itself in a position. If the Hawkeyes can find a way to to uh, to you know maybe score some defensive points or special teams points or something, uh, have something screwy like that happen, I certainly think they can hang around. I do think that this is probably a game that Ohio State wins and, and it would probably be somewhere you know in a margin, you know maybe in a 27 to you know, 17 kind of game I, I could see a 
evolving. Uh, it's not going to be an overly pleasant day. It sounds like the weather could be a bit of a factor with some rain in the forecast, but uh, and November chill in the air. But uh, um, you know, I think I would give it a heck of an effort. But I think in the end, especially in that fourth quarter, I think the Buckeyes probably their experience will probably make a difference. Well, we got Peter. And they got guys named Laser and Blazer and Taser and all kinds of Asian. Kirk Ferentz's team is going to escape here with a win. This will be the third 17-10 game out of their last four. The first home where they come out on the right end of it. And the gauntlet begins. Ohio State comes in next week. And then they travel to Madison on the 11th. Third straight win in this series for Kirk Ferentz and the Hawkeyes. They hang on to the Floyd of Rosedale Trophy for at least one more year. Final score, Iowa 17, Minnesota 10. Next, it's Hang Time with Ron Caluzzi. We're pleased to have the former Hawkeyes punter and place kicker joining Hawkeyes Mike as a regular contributor. You'll hear his Hang Time features on both our Reporter's Notebook podcasts and quick hits in the coming weeks. Ron, cold weather's here. It's nasty, raw. Wind a lot of times is a factor. Let's spend today talking about how the cold weather and or the wind impacts kicking because it does have a substantial impact both on punting and place kicking. Let's start with punting. In terms of punting, you've talked before about how wind in particular can even affect the drop, how far you drop the punt. Can you explain that a little bit more? And then after that, let's talk about how the cold affects punting. It's a great question. Uh, Punting, the most important part of a punt is getting off a successful drop. If you have a bad drop, 99% of the time it's going to be a bad punt. And what I mean by a good drop is it's got to be, you know, off of your hip bone. It's got to be far enough for, you know, your foot to make solid contact with it so you can finish through and get downfield with good form. If you have a, a drop that draws inside of your body or outside of your body, chances are it's going to be a shank. If you have a drop where the nose kind of falls forward or falls back, most of the time you're going to have an end-over-end punt, and it's not going to be that ideal spiral that turns over through the air 55 yards downfield with a 5-0 hang time. Wind can affect the drop dramatically. In my playing experience, whenever I had a a wind that was going left to right, you know, that's going to push the nose of the ball, the front end of the ball to the right, which is going to cause your drop to go outside of your hip. And then, you know, it could be a shank. If the wind's coming from your right to the left, the same thing applies to right-footed punters. You know, the, the ball's going to fall to your left and you're going to have to chase it inside and you're going to swing across your body and more often than not it's going to be a shank if the wind is in your face it's going to push the ball down on your drop causing the nose to fall so you're going to get that end over end punt if the wind is behind your back more often than not it's going to push the back end of the ball down so when you make contact and punt the ball it's going to be end over end as well so as it gets colder uh, wind and and the temperature is definitely going to affect every aspect of the game. But for the kicking game, um, it, it has a huge impact on it because uh, if you aren't practicing in it and you're not used to it, it, it can be a huge uh, mental mentally. It, it could be mentally exhausting because you don't really understand why it's 
your balls flying a different way than what it was in early month of September or things like that. So yeah, it's got a huge impact on it. Does the cold impact punting, and you're going to talk about this in a couple of minutes, but we've talked about it off the air. As the ball gets colder and it gets slightly deflated, does it have an impact on punting like it will on place kicking? Yeah, uh, the cold. So so naturally, when it gets cold outside, uh, the footballs tend to deflate. And when you're kicking or when you're punting, you're hitting the ball with your foot as hard as you can. And your foot is naturally going to go, I'm trying to think of the right word, it's going to compact inside the ball until it pops off of your foot. But if the ball is a little bit deflated, you're not going to get that pop off the foot that you normally would. So when it's cold outside, yes, the balls are going to deflate and it's going to affect your punting, meaning it's not going to go as far um, as it would, you know, if it was 75 degrees outside. For kicking, it, it does just the exact same thing. You know, you can't get solid contact off of your foot, and it's not going to go as far. It's not going to fly as as high and as smooth as it would if it was 75 degrees. I actually have a a funny story from when I played last year at uh, at Iowa. We were playing Penn State, and uh, the weather started to turn. It was starting to get cold out. You know, I went out to warm ups with wearing like uh, those those winter gloves you wear to shovel snow off your driveway, or if you're going to Antarctica, these real thermal gloves, right? And everyone's making fun of me, and I'm I'm like, hey man, my hands get cold. That's that's it. You know, I'm not gonna be able to hold any field goals for Keith Duncan, or I can't mold the ball for punting, and I'm not gonna get a good punt off, and blah 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 blah. But it was cold, and I was warming up, and the balls started to get flatter and flatter and flatter, and you know, I didn't know what to do. So we went out for the first kickoff and we, we started the game with, with the kickoff. And in the past, if I didn't like the ball that the official gave me, I would throw it on the sidelines and, and ask for another ball that was more pumped up and broken in, something that I like to kick, right? And at the Penn State game, there's 100,000 people in the stands. You know, it's on national primetime TV and millions of people are watching at home. And the ref, he yells at me. He's like, let's go, kid. You got to kick the ball. And, you know, I, I told him, man, I'm not kicking this ball. I'm about to throw it to the sidelines. If you don't give me a new one, this ball is flat. And in warmups, when I was kicking pumped up balls, my kickoffs were going to the back of the end zone. Well, he said to me, dude, I'm going to give you a 10-yard penalty if you don't kick this ball off right now. We got... We got millions of people watching on TV. The camera guy said, you're good to go. So I'm telling you, you need to go. <laughs> and uh, so I naturally, I kicked the ball off and it went like, you know, to the goal line, maybe a yard deep. And Penn State came back with a 45 yard return. And I tried telling the coaches on the sideline and, and the equipment manager, like, we need to pump up these footballs. They're not going anywhere. And no one really looks into that. No one really thinks about that. Punters and kickers are kind of last uh, when it comes to that that game day thinking or, or game day decision making. And uh, that did happen. Ryan Gersandi had a really good game at Northwestern in his debut as the starter. Nice average. Last week in the Minnesota game, it was a lot colder and it was windy. Is that what was impacting his punting last week in the Minnesota game, do you think, more than anything else? Because his kicks were considerably shorter. Right. I think so because you can't – inconsistency is, is very uh, natural when it comes to a, a young punter just because I went 
through it, and I see people go through it every year that are freshmen or sophomores um, at the college level. But for Ryan, it's hard to go from a 52-yard average the week before to what he did this week at Minnesota. Weather did play a huge impact on his performance simply because, you know, the, the types of punts that were done or, or, or off of his foot weren't his normal punting performance from what my brother tells me in practice. And I think he's very mature for his age. And I don't think anything rattled him in that aspect playing at home against Minnesota. I, I do think it was the weather because, you know, he's adjusting for the first time playing late, late in October and November. If you think about high school, you know, most of the kids if they don't make it to the playoffs they're done last week right so there's no other cold games that he's really experienced this is his first rodeo or first time playing this late in the year so yeah I think the weather did play a huge impact on his performance last week it also looks like they've decided Colton Rastetter is going to be the designated rugby style punter does that make sense to you do they want Gersandi to just focus on traditional kicking or is Rastetter better at rugby style I think they're both very good punters first and foremost but um, I think Colton has just a more natural draw in practice um, to produce rugby punts and they're they're going farther and flying better so yeah I think you know that's their approach right now um, which is kind of uh, interesting since Ryan is from Australia and he mainly did rugby punts before traditional punts but you know once you fall into that trap of learning you know the the NFL type where the traditional type way of punting you start to get good at it if you don't practice that rugby punt it kind of like goes away it's one of those things where if you don't use it you lose it so by all means I don't think he's not practicing rugby punts but maybe I think Colton is just a little bit more comfortable with letting it fly and the ball's going a little bit farther and more in the right direction where the coaching staff is looking for one potential problem at least it seems to me is that every time Rastater comes in then the other team the punt defense team is going to assume it's a rugby right yeah. yeah. So 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 the their team naturally falls over to the was it Colton's left, their right. Yeah. Um I do see that and I, I can see that for future teams. You know, I would know or like when I was playing last year, sometimes the opposing team would know if I was doing a rugby punt or if I was going to do a traditional punt just by the way our scheme was set up. Um, if if uh, I think they caught on to the personal protector moving, Drake Kulik w- was moving sooner than, than, than other times they knew we were going to do a rugby punt. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of just um, one of those things where if Colton is only doing rugby punts, you can, you can definitely bet that the opposing team will have watched that in film and automatically know okay let's just shift our 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 personnel over to the right just like you would in baseball if you know you know a pitcher can't be a pole hitter and he's a righty so you just leave everybody out in right field if he if he can't go to left you know what i mean of course, it also set up the possibility of a fake or some kind of a trick play. So, right. Interesting. Well, let's go back to the cold weather issue now. So we've talked about how it impacts punting. How does it impact place kicking, both field goals and kickoffs? First off, you know, the play starts with a snap. So when it's cold out and you your snapper is struggling trying to grip the ball because his hands are numb, that could be an issue, which causes the rotation on the ball after it being snapped to the holder to be different than when it's warm outside and most people don't realize Tyler Kluver is a phenomenal 
phenomenal snapper and he knows how to make the laces go out when the holder catches the ball so all the holder has to do is put the ball down well when it's cold out and he can't grip it like he normally can or it comes off of his fingers differently than when it's warm out it's going to cause a rotation on the ball to have a different amount of turns when it gets to the holder so the holder will have to do more work in the aspect of making sure that the laces are out so the kicker Miguel doesn't have to kick laces or a sidewind kind of uh, ball. And, you know, in the holder's aspect, if his hands aren't warm when it's cold outside and he's not practicing in the cold and doesn't, it could be really slick. It could be really slippery and, and the ball can go out of his hands. And if the hold is messed up, it's going to mess up the, everything with the kick, the rotation of the ball, the flight, where it ends up, distance, hang time, you name it. It's going to mess everything up. Kicking, you know, when I played at Central Michigan, uh, the coldest game I ever played in, it was 18 below zero with the wind shield we were playing in ypsilanti michigan uh, against eastern michigan and i'm telling you it was absolutely freezing it was like 35 mile per hour winds every time i hit the ball off my foot it felt like i was kicking a brick like a red brick on, on a house or it felt like i was kicking an icicle right it was miserable so we're not in those what i call dog days yet but you better believe that the ball flies and feels differently off a kick kicker's foot and it kind of messes with their head Um, because then they think oh I got to kick the ball harder to get a farther field goal and then when you try to kick harder or punt harder that's when all of your form goes out of whack and you start to shank the ball so you know Miguel is a veteran kicker I don't think he's going to have a problem with the cold um, and the aspect of sticking true to his form and not trying to kick it harder than normal but again I could I could also be wrong and he gets in his own way and starts to kill the ball and then it starts shanking it so you never really know um all you can really trust is falling back to your mechanics and your form when it gets cold and not getting frustrated that the ball is naturally not going to go as far if we get into snow and sleet does that impact how a place kicker approaches things yeah a little bit in the nfl you'll you'll see when there's snow on the ground the offensive line will go where the kicker is going to put his plant foot to kick the ball and they'll kind of like brush their feet across the the turf or the, the grass so the snow disappears and there's an area for the, the kicker to kick the ball you know that could happen snow definitely you know when it hits the ball it makes the it melts to the ball right so you're getting water in the football or like on the football and when that happens the football is naturally heavier so instead of kicking a ball with 18 psi you know like or 15 psi um, whatever the weight of that ball is if you add snow or sleet or rain on it the ball is naturally heavier so you're kicking a heavier football you're, you're you're hitting something off your foot that isn't what you normally hit off your foot so everything feels different the the swing you know contact coming through it your body coming through it, everything is different so yeah snow rain sleet that that affects kicking tremendously one last question in today's discussion. The kind of shoes that kickers wear when mm-hmm. you played, both punting and place kicking, you wear, or most kickers wear different shoes punting versus place kicking. It seems like a lot of them wear different shoes than what the rest of the team is wearing. Yeah, that's uh, that's natural. Kickers and punters are always, in my opinion, for the most part, they're going to wear soccer cleats on their kicking foot because it allows you to, to make the best contact from your foot to the ball 
ball that gives you the rotation that you want the ball flight all that good stuff and some kickers and punters wear a different cleat on their plant foot which is normally uh you know a regular football cleat so you have better traction when your foot plants and you know you can get through the ball better for me i didn't like wearing two different cleats i wore the same soccer cleat on each foot because i didn't like my feet being on different levels because if you're not wearing the same shoe you know your feet are going to be or your your body if you split it from left to right are going to be at different levels because each cleat won't be identical in height and width and all that so i didn't like wearing two different cleats because i saw the ball at different levels when i was approaching it and it just felt weird and uncomfortable but some guys love it like i know colton rastetter wears a different one um on his plant foot i think i think uh marshall kane wore a different one same with dylan kid i mean i know jason baker kind of kind of uh, preaches that that aspect of having a different plant cleat you know with with your plant foot having a different cleat on there but I just I never fell into it I never liked it so that's strictly a personal preference when you were coaching kids at Calusi kicking do you try to coach them in that respect or is it just strictly a matter of personal preference oh no if if they're wearing football cleats and they come with me you know to a private lesson or a camp or if I'm coaching them I'm automatically telling them hey you need to get to play it against sports and buy you know a $30 forty dollar pair of used soccer cleats you can't be you can't be kicking with football cleats on if, unless you want to do the the old school toe bash that they did in the 80s but you know look at the numbers from today compared to the to the 80s when they used to toe bash the ball i'd say kickers are 80 percent 90 percent better accuracy wise and are doing a lot a lot more consistent things every weekend than what they were doing in the past so yeah to answer your question if I'm working with a kid I'm, t- I'm definitely telling them to put on soccer cleats and not be messing around with football cleats there's a force in the universe that makes things happen and all you have to do is get in touch with it stop thinking let things happen be the ball Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to FS1 for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Steve Batterson, and also special thanks to Ron Caluzzi. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 11 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.